Hello, Gabe here, and I'm here to tell you about Iconoff mattresses. Now I know what you're thinking. Here comes another ad about a cheap mattress that can be sent to my house conveniently in a cardboard box. Well, what if I told you that this mattress is made with 100% recycled material and zero carbon footprint and can still conveniently be sent to your home, not in a cardboard box, but as a cardboard box? Several of them stacked together. That's right. Iconoff Mattresses takes discarded cardboard boxes and repurposes them to redefine the term bed to make the leading and only mattress alternative on the market today. Want your mattress personalized? For an additional $150, they will rummage through their abandoned warehouse to assemble a mattress of shipping labels with your name on it, so they can all return where they came from. And for an additional $10,000, they will say that they promise not to steal your identity. You might be asking, is there some sort of warranty or money-back guarantee? Well, let me tell you that I have no clue. A big man in a leather jacket handed me this ad copy on the sidewalk outside my apartment, and he told me to read this on the show and no one will get hurt, which I can only assume he is referring to my two co-hosts, whom I haven't heard or seen in like two or three days. So what are you waiting for? Go to www.iconoffmattresses.com. Remember, mattress must be in quotations. And enter promo code to get your credit card information removed from up to six shady websites. Hello, the name of this segment is Now Showing. So, imagine you're at a, a, if you're a New Englander, you're at Stop and Shop. If you're one of these uh, cuckoo Holly weirdos, you're probably at Ralph's. You're in the video store. You're a kid, you know. You're in the VHS rental section. And on the little TV, they're playing a movie. They have a little, the VHS box. And a little stance is now showing. So that's what we're, that's what we're doing. We're going we're gonna to watch a movie. We assign a movie. Something we want to see. Something we've never seen. Always wanted to. I'm just going to talk about it. And it's not going to be like punishment. Like you're not going to get, um, I hate these guys. I'm going to make them watch. So you want to play blackjack. Guys, that's the movie. No. We have to be kind. We have to be kind with this. Uh, today, I think the movie we watched was Tomorrow Never Dies. Not yet. We could do the bonds in order. But, but our first movie is the film Nothing Lasts Forever. Oh. It was made in 1984, and it was uh, famously shelved almost right away <laughs> due to poor reception from the higher-ups. But it's... Uh, yeah. Movie to- uh, directed by Tom Chiller. Yeah, and I, I um, this is like a a Broadway video production, so it's Lauren Michaels. Lauren Michaels uh, producing, p- putting up the cash for it. And I I was unaware of this movie um, until not long before I watched it. Um, I'm a fan of the podcast and YouTube show Office Hours Live, and um, one of the callers brought up the film and I just everything about it really uh got me interested especially the shelving part of it like yeah I thought, like what's why why would the movie just not be available at all anywhere um so made me want to watch it you know 
more than anything because of that. And, uh, <laughs> it's forbidden. Forbidden film. You just so only want I what started, you can't have. I started digging around a little bit, and and uh, um, I don't know what the statute of limitations are in this, but uh, the three of us had to enter the dark web to see the film. Yeah, it was really weird. It was like Tron. We had to put on helmets. We got sucked into the dark web. And um, Jeff Bridges <laughs> lives here now. The dark web. Like I had. Yeah, to he loves that. it there. I, he likes it at my house, but it's fine. I mean, you know, I don't love him. I don't now, hate him. What? What? Now, what era Jeff Bridges is is in your uh, dark web universe now? Well, it's like. Uh, it depends on like the barometric pressure. Like <laughs> today, it was a hunky uh, Fisher King, Jeff Bridges. <laughs> yeah, yeah, which works because uh, remember uh, in that movie he wears this Japanese baseball shirt. It was the same <laughs> one in Big Lebowski. Just saying, oh. it's a shirt of his. So we Jason, what did out. you <laughs> what did you think of uh, Nothing Lasts Forever? I thought it was fantastic. Right off the bat, you see that you know. They make 1984 uh, look like a film from the 30s. And down to like very small details, like it seems like the film stock. I mean, that could have been the dark web transfer that we had. But the extras that were cast looked like people that would be in like a old like German film or something. <laughs> you know, they're, they're really, really well cast. Um, and right out of the gate, you know, it, it's uh, frantic. It's funny. Um, and I knew I was, I knew I, I loved it kind of within the first five minutes because, um, the opening scene has our protagonist. He's someone who really is desperate to be an artist and he's on stage playing, uh, like a Chopin piece or, or something. And he has a little bit of a freak out and you realize that the piano he's playing is a player piano. And so he's not doing anything. And in the, the audience uh, at this concert, there's all these people in tuxedos, and this guy rises from the crowd uh, saying, like, <laughs> calling it out, and he calls it a player piano. Uh -huh. He's like and an old guy, prospector. He's an old prospector with a pitchfork uh -huh. in this big concert hall. And I just thought, okay, I'm, I'm in. I'm into this. <laughs> yeah. I like the um, – I've always liked the uh, old style where uh, a movie will begin with credits. <laughs> I just like that so much. <laughs> I don't know why, but um, I, I noticed some cool music. things at the beginning. Uh, there was this uh, one of the uh, people who worked on the film. Uh, I don't know how to pronounce his last name, so it doesn't matter. Uh, but he's, his title was Scenic Charge Man. Does anyone want to guess <laughs> what that is? Or do you That's know? That's my favorite superhero. <laughs> a Scenic Charge Man? <laughs> I, I assume you say it's scenic chargeman. <laughs> chargeman. Ch chargeman. But uh, I looked it up. It was the guy that painted the, uh, who was in ch like the captain of the people who paint the background scene. The, the, yeah, there's a lot it. of matte paintings. Yeah, there's a lot of painted in backgrounds. Yeah. Like the the mats they have. That's there, what the a, word the, is. Yeah. There's a, there's a lot of, you know, so they, they're in um, New York for a lot of it, but then, you know, I mean, spoiler, they alert, but they go on the moon at some point. And, the, and it's very stylish, like bad, um, like sci-fi kind of look, like totally clearly painted backgrounds, yeah. but beautifully done. 
And what I thought it was like, you know, uh, what kind of Johnny Cash does. Uh, I forget. I don't, I don't have. I think I only have. I only have like the famous album, so it must be San Quentin <laughs> or one of those prison ones. <laughs> we just say Johnny Cash made more than one album performing in a prison. <laughs> Different time, <laughs> but what he did was he'd make like a, like if he's not gonna remember, if he didn't remember a lyric, he'd write it down and just go, oh, let me get my idiot sheet. So it's like this movie, they couldn't get the big budget they wanted, so they made it endearing. Like, well, let's not try and make the moon look real then, you know, if it's not going to come close. And it had an exotic feel to it, as if you were watching some film that was lost to time. The beginning kind of looks like a film from the, I don't know, somewhere between the 20s and the 40s. It just has that kind of look. And then, you know, depending on what the the main character is going through like there's a part later on that is just 1980s Manhattan you know like people are dressed like kind of for like punk new wave times and it and it kind of all feels like it all goes together there's some something that kind of brings all these different parts together um, and maybe it's just because it's so like freewheeling that you accept it yeah what did you think, Gabe? What was your initial reaction watching the beginning of this? I, I think watching the beginning of this as uh, well, honestly, I thought Jason messed up and it just wrong movie because <laughs> <laughs> it looked like I mean, they did a really good job of making this look like a movie from like the 30s. Oh, yeah. I, I think even like the first like I knew it had well, not modern actors for the time, modern actors because uh, it had what's his name, Zach. Uh, I forget his last name, Zach Griffin from like uh, the Gremlins. Yeah. And uh, he he just looked like he fit in right in the 1930s. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I really like the humor. I, I've heard about this movie for a long time. Uh, I think it was always legendary, especially among, like, people who loved Silent Live growing up. Uh, but, like, and, like, the weird thing about this movie is that it's not, like, completely buried or hidden. Like, some movies. it's not like the day the clown cried. <laughs> Where it's like right. it will be in a vault until Jerry Lewis is dead for like eighty years. Like they've actually well, shown, like, yeah. Like Bill actually... Murray's name keeps it afloat. You know, like there's yeah. this movie with Bill Murray in it. Yeah, like... and that's that that that's something that's cool about it too. As is as it is like like you know the Lauren Michaels uh, mm-hmm. production company. You get like you get some SNL people. You know, kind of classic people in parts. Yeah. Um, and Bill Murray, I, you know. Obviously, I, you know, it's great, these leading roles Bill Murray has. But you, we kind of, because he blew up so big, we kind of never got to experience, like, Bill Murray, the character actor, because the character he plays in the film is sort of this, like, more like, I wouldn't say one-note type character, but a guy who just has, like, a single purpose, and he's, you know, just being irritated the whole time. <laughs> Um, I thought it was really good, like really funny in that. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's like kind of like role. the persnickety tour guide. On behalf of the cabin crew, Mr. Brown, your driver, Rita Shimkus, your stewardess, and myself, Ted Bruegel, your sky host. We hope you have a pleasant journey. If there's anything we can do to make your trip more comfortable, please don't hesitate to ask. We will commence the lunar teeny service as soon as we're underway. Now, what did you guys think of uh, um, Gizmo's life partner in the lead role? I know, Gabe, you liked him. Would you give him a check? 
<laughs> I'd give him what a do check. You you'd give him a check. What about you, Jason? <laughs> Good yeah. on him. You did okay. yeah. uh, I'll be the minority then because I did not like him in this role. I thought uh, no. The voice was really annoying. <laughs> it was kind of <laughs> like the way. Um, listen, I'm I'm gonna uh, blow your minds here, but. In cartoons, women do the voices of boys, so they don't have to keep replacing the kid. But his regular what? voice sounded like uh, one of those voices, like, uh, I can't play the piano. Uh, what am I doing? <laughs> and I was kind of like, oh, a whole movie with this guy, huh? <laughs> All right. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I, I think they, yeah, I think they did play that up because he's this, they're trying to make hey. him... Like so, so naive, but also like his age is a little ambiguous, you yeah, know, like yeah. his, cause he has these, like, he kind of lives with his aunt and uncle. He's, is he in college? You know, you know, you don't really know how old he's supposed to be necessarily. I don't know who you, you would even fill in that role that it's like perfect. I think he's actually, you know, a young man, especially during that time who you've only seen in the Goonies. It's like probably even struggling himself in real life that he wanted to become a, yeah, uh, a more serious actor or artist. I mean, I, I, I think I, he did a fine job. I, I wasn't really annoyed, but he didn't really stand out either. You know. You know, maybe it was me because I I uh, assumed Bill Murray would be the star. So when I saw that, it's like was becoming more and more clear to me that Bill Murray was only going to have a <laughs> a, a <laughs> role far off in the movie. I was kind of like, well, this this guy should be Bill Murray. And I was just imagining him in that role. So I was like, oh, that'd be so much better. Oh, yeah. Uh, now that you say that, I'm <laughs> like, oh, that would have been way better. I set myself up. What did you guys think of uh, Danny Aykroyd um, down in the, the I mean, Holland Tunnel with the hard hat? Ego game. <laughs> I, mean, I, th- I thought, like, he was in it for like what all together maybe two minutes three minutes <laughs> i i mean he was doing the same thing he always does i feel uh which isn't bad i, I like dan Aykroyd a lot but it was sort of like okay yeah i've seen this before and he's doing it again just <laughs> in a movie that nobody's ever seen now you will depress this red button here which in turn activates the red light outside which causes the vehicles to stop We'll then use this public address microphone to inform the vehicle's drivers that they are to turn around and get out of the tunnel. What do I say? Anything. Get out, go home, beat it, take off, just get them out of here. And here is your gun. What? I've never used a gun before in my life. I mean, they scare me. Come on, Bagger, don't be such a pussy. You don't know who's out there. In a way, like, Danny is, like, the perfect guy for this sort of movie looking back because a lot of the parts that he plays mm-hmm, are yeah. these fast talking um, uptight guys. And that's a character that was big in like slapstick yeah. movies. Right. Like yeah, he, he was kind of born his, a little uh, late. He got to work in a sweet spot where he's a guy that kind of talks like this, probably more <laughs> Joe, probably more like a uh, working class, but he, he got the list. Off, he got to rattle off a list of technical terms, which is like, <laughs> if he could just do that in movies, he would. <laughs> or he would or he would have liked to have been the micro machines guy like he was like ah oh, damn it <laughs> I, I'm too big for those commercials now damn ghostbusters <laughs> I'll never be the micro machines guy uh, well I was thinking like uh, one thing I, I liked I, I enjoyed watching this movie I was glad I saw it but there's a lot of like um, that whole idea where this is a uh, um 
a dystopian future where it's run by the Port Authority of New York. And that is such, like, a joke <laughs> just for New York people in the early mm. 80s. They, like, uh, usually that in L.A., New York and L.A., there's a lot of, like, jokes just for the people who live in those cities, which is fine. But it also kind of dates it, like, the Port Authority. Could you imagine <laughs> if they ran the world? <laughs> Boy, what would what would because uh, you two you two live uh, in Southern California. What would be the L.A. joke? Some kind of improv group run running something. It's the groundlings, you know? and so things have to like be. Everything has to be yes ended, like in all the public uh, dealings. Yeah, that is, like that is a like, nightmare. <laughs> the mother like in Queens, like, look, I just need to know if I need to drive my kids to school or if there's going to be transportation and then they're just trying to yes and each other. And it's like, ah, oh. that was another character. Can I just find out yeah. if I need to drive my kid to school? Oh, yeah. I like it because it's not written down first. And, and it shows. <laughs> it really shows. <laughs> so what I saw, what I, what struck me about it, because this is before all the moon stuff, kind of moves to New York City. And first of all, you mentioned the cast. And what it was is... Um, it looks like they just like put a call out to like central casting because these oh, are like yeah. the type of guys like Letterman would have like in the background <laughs> if they needed a really old worried guy. There was a guy, a character on Letterman, where it would just be a guy Dave would fire all the time, and he just looked like some guy who's living in New York forever, yeah. maybe <laughs> on the fringes. In fact, who pops up? But one of these, uh, you know, just New York characters from, she's a generation that was probably born. In the twenties, maybe, it was a uh, Larry Bud Melman. He was a uh, mm-hmm. he. He had a uh, he was in the background. He had a few roles. It was exactly what you'd expect it to be. Letterman was on the air by that point, and I'm not sure if he was already part of the, the gang so. at that point. It didn't feel like stunt casting. It just right. felt like this guy belongs in in this setting. Yeah, let's just get a bunch of old people. And the cool thing about the old women, because the style that was. What would we say the 30s? I don't know what era this was supposed to take place in or hint at. I think they do say 1984 at some uh, point. Okay. But the style, though, I think does. There are, there are certain times where it's like the 30s and there's certain times where it feels like the 50s, like the nuclear yeah. family. So it definitely type has a retro look. look. And it's very dark, and New York City is like kind of like. It looks like a hellish version of what it is, so it's black and white, a lot of dark. They do that thing where they make the set look wet. <laughs> you know they do it, that in movies? It glows. I don't know if that, yeah. yeah, like Taxi Driver, it's always wet at night. <laughs> I don't know why it's, but the women in the oh, – the older – the old women, because it's pretty much besides the main character and this uh, woman who you meet on the moon, they're like the only people maybe in their 20s. The rest are people like well into their 60s and 70s, I think, right? But the women, all their hair looks like cotton candy, just kind of like <laughs> brushed onto their head and wrapped up. It was quite a sight. I feel like um, the B-52 should have popped up at some point. Yeah. I would. I mean, it would have been awesome. But it's, it, it, it's very much like their aesthetic is, um, is in that, you know, like Exotica and sp- Space Age yeah. stuff and – so, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, like uh, almost atomic look with like mixed with maybe the forties, fifties look. Yeah, it was it was dark movie. 
Uh, but it would come into it because the, the, the beginning, he's like, I, well, I want to be an artist. <laughs> and like he's taken to this underground society, which are like gross, wet old men. They're like damp <laughs> and they look like bums. It was, uh, they... <laughs> it was like the homeless, right? Because he was so kind to yeah. homeless people throughout the movie that uh, the, the main homeless guy brought him or the, one of the homeless guys brought him to like the main homeless guy who was like a society of like uh, I, I think I, I blacked out during that part, but it was like they're all pretty much artists, right? Yeah, and they make things happen. Like if you're mm-hmm. in their league, it, it kind of had a an occult kind of feel to it too, because it was this underground society. And and you know we're spoiling this movie if you haven't watched it, but the film oh, goes yeah. to color for those sequences. It just kind of goes to like this sort of um, again we're watching a a dark web copy, but when I was watching it at, my, at home, uh, it kind of looked like the colors were Yeah, well, it was like, like the color they used uh, for Wizard of Oz it reminded me of, like kind of like that first stab at color. Yeah. Yeah. Or the yeah, red yeah. shoes. Well, yes. Yeah. Wizard of Oz had red shoes in it too. <laughs> and it was American. That's true. They should have, they should have called, yeah. they should have called it red shoes. Red shoe diaries. I'm like, oh, man. Call me on Valentine's nice. Day and send the kids <laughs> to the neighbors. Am I right? <laughs> they, they, uh, but the thing is, like, uh, so, uh, with this, I think he meets like the king of like this. Isn't this a guy called like the Emperor of New York or something? Like the head bum. <laughs> I, f- I forget his name, but he's he's he's, yeah. he's he kind of meets the wizard. And he tells him, like, uh, he what does he say? He says, him. "You'll get everything you want in your life." only it won't happen the way you expect. But the thing is, what this struck me about this, and, um, well, the, first of all, the guy wanted to be an artist, but he doesn't know what kind of art he wants to do. He just knows he wants to express himself somehow and make his life about that, which is like, I feel jumping into something like that is definitely something a young person would do. Like, I don't know how I want to express myself, but I want to be an artist, you know, and you don't really know about yourself yet and that's probably what the movie was about right and he has to find out about life before he can Uh, be an artist yeah i mean like the the movies what it's about it seems pretty heavy-handed yeah like being an artist in like a big city and figuring out what's gonna like you know like i think they're trying to say like even if you oh spoilers uh if you go to the moon there's still gonna be commercialism and all this stuff because just send a bunch of people to the shop basically up there you know it, it the yeah. the message isn't like buried in there. It's very much on the surface of you know, it's hard being an artist, uh, especially in New York. Anyway, what's your art scene? I don't really know. I'm still trying to figure it out. I, I don't know what my medium is. Then we will find it together. I will help you. But I I think that um there's something about this approach, this sort of surreal entryway into this that I thought was maybe more effective than a lot of other movies I've seen because it sort of makes fun of people who feel like I have to be an artist. This is how I have to, how I define myself. I have to become, yeah. it's about fame. I think a lot too. He's not just like, I want to be an artist. Like he wants notoriety. And so along the way it, it, it looks ridiculous And the artists that he meets, like the people he meets, like in the village, are all kind of ridiculous. Like the guy who's walking, um, he's like, what, what is it? He's walking the yes. treadmill and counting. Yeah. 
Is, is that right? Counting That's to, like his uh, art piece. Million. 1001, I kind of felt like a little, like I blushed a little bit because thinking about myself when I was like 20 and I was like, I really want to do this thing and get in front of people and do this thing. And it's sort of embarrassing. And you, you do that kind of stuff at that age and whatever you're doing, yeah. most likely you suck <laughs> at it. Cause you, cause like Mike, like Mike, you were saying, um, yeah. You need to have lived. You can't a be a good bit. writer when you're 20. And I know every once in a while. Yeah, I mean, it just doesn't happen. I mean, every once in a while they have this person like, "Oh, it's a it's a young wonder with their first novel." It just they they always come from Yale or uh, <laughs> Harvard. I'm sorry. I think we went <laughs> almost 30 minutes before I went got before I got into uh, how much I hate the uh, wealthy. <laughs> I tried to hold off as much as possible. But it was like, oh. Next time we do this, we'll t we'll set up a timer and we'll, uh, the bell will ring when you. When but you the hit thing that. is, like, I agree with Gabe. It was like there's a lot of heavy-handed stuff. Uh, I remember at one point, someone says something to him where you know me, the viewer, I felt like they wanted me to say, "Boy, they really hate artists, huh? <laughs> this society doesn't like them, all right." And I should say, like Tom Schiller, like. If you're wondering what the movie looks like, because he did, I know, short films for SNL back in, like, the one that stands out to me was the one where, I don't remember all of it, but it was, um, I think, John Belushi. I don't know that one, but I know the one where John Belushi, he's like, I'm the last of the SNL cast members. Yeah. So I would have thought of, he did that. And uh, I would bet he did one later on where there's no joke to it, but it's just Phil Hartman and Jan Hooks. And they have some, like, almost, like, waltzing busby berkeley-esque type of dance number which is just done really well it's i don't know it stood out from the rest of the show but i bet he did that too about the artist thing um a scene that i really liked and you know this has probably been done since uh but there's a scene where what's the i can't remember the main character's name i feel like gizmo um <laughs> uh well <laughs> gizmo <laughs> Gizmo is entering, uh, he's entering, he's like going through the subway and he's stopped um, by uh, like a transit employee and everyone has to declare what their occupation is before going through, right? It's almost, it's almost kind of like a, a film you would see about right. like a Nazi occupied yeah. place, right? Where people are having to show their papers and... Uh, and people are going through one after one by one, and then our protagonist goes through. Well, what do you intend to do? I'm going to be an artist. An artist, huh? Um, may I see your portfolio? Portfolio? What is this? I don't have one yet. You, you see, I just got I it. I see nothing. You people only knew how many of you were trying to become artists in the city. You would realize what the Port Authority has to go through. I tell you what, I could turn you back right now. But I'm going to be lenient with you, okay? You have 48 hours to report to the Port Authority Art Testing Center. And um, try to keep away from conceptual art. I felt at like one point, they were like, uh, uh, I wanted him to say, I'm not a kid, I'm a cabbage patch. <laughs> I thought that would be... <laughs> that would just change the movie completely. <laughs> no, but um, yeah, no, he really wanted to be an artist. He couldn't wait. Ha, 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 ha.
Um, but there was one part where he was like, uh, I, I forget. I think he's like talking to, oh, yeah, this is really gross part in the uh, movie where, uh, I mean, he literally is in the underground. They go through some tunnel. Oh, yeah. It's very dreamy, this movie. It has like uh It looks amazing. To it. Yeah, like if you ate like a pizza and then went to sleep, you <laughs> might have a dream like this. So he's in this cavern, right? I don't know. Twist and turns. All these bums, they have like dirty beards and all this. And then they are in a steam room. And they're not wearing towels around their waist, but they're wearing like these like almost like sumo kind of like, uh, you know, the things of sumo wear around their waist. But these look more like diapers, like <laughs> cloth diapers. And I would rather be naked than have to wear one of those disgusting sanitary <laughs> diapers. I mean, could you imagine the smell in that room? Ugh. Like a smell of a steam room is disgusting enough. What is this? Where am I? Welcome to the inner sanctum of the phenomenon of New York City. Sorry about all that heat. We had to burn out any impurities you may have brought with you from the physical plane. Can we get to the woman he meets on there? Yeah. She's on from the, uh, on the moon. Imogene Coca. Well, no, the one of the older women who's oh. Imogene Coca. She's from like she's kind of an amazing comedian, but she came she was like biggest in the fifties. She was uh one of Sid Caesar's like players, you know, on the thing. But she's so funny. Like <laughs> you m- most people most might know her from Aunt, as Aunt Edna from the vacation movies, which isn't that funny because she just dies. But like the fifties humor doesn't really hold up, but she's so good. And just the way cause he meets her on the plane or the rocket wait, it looks like a Greyhound bus. But then they show like a little Greyhound bus toy kind of wobbly going up to the moon, which I actually thought looked cool. Like I would much rather yes. watch that than like uh, CGI stuff. But that's probably a generational thing, right? Um, but no, she's so great. Like she just said this one line, like, where are you from? She goes, Dayton, Ohio. And I don't know how she made that funny, but it was perfect. Like I got excited when I saw her name in there because I barely ever get to see her act. So I was excited. Excuse me, young man. Do you mind if I sit with you for a while? No, not at all. Have a seat. Thank you. My name is Daisy Shackman. I'm from Dayton, Ohio. Adam Beckett from New York. Glad to meet you. Thank you. Have you made this trip before? Oh, sure. Lots of times. It's all supposed to be top secret. But you look like such a nice young man. I can't see why we can't talk kind of stole the movie for me yeah because i mean she was just so good in it it's kind of overlooked from that era where you know a lot of that stuff doesn't exist anymore also would it be that funny probably not but and she was good in this i i really like that a lot and um, did you see who was uh one of the, the singer on this uh bus no i can't remember it was eddie fisher who was uh Oh, uh, um, Carrie Carrie Fisher's dad, and uh, ma'am. So I was imagining him going, "Hey, uh, hey, Carrie, I'm on a space movie too, huh? How about your old man, huh?" Well, she had a rough like. Well, do you think like because she had like a, na- a messed up childhood? Am I right in guessing this? Yeah, actually, I just watched. There's this. Um, she looks it. There's this one woman. <laughs> this one woman show she does. Uh, um, that's currently on, you can watch it on HBO and it's based on this book she wrote 
um, I think it's called, let me see, is it called Wishful Drinking? Yeah. That's um, all right. But it's, it's. I'll give it to her. <laughs> yeah. It, it, yeah. But she, she goes into, um, you know, what it was like being the, the child of Eddie Fisher and. Um, uh, Debbie Reynolds. Deb- Debbie Reynolds. Yeah. I was looking through a list of uh, like modern actors. And I, 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 I recognize the names, but I swear to God, I couldn't tell you what their faces look like. I think my uh, new actors was cut off with uh, Michael Sarah. That was it. That's like the last <laughs> new actor I could memorize and remember. Like Anna Kendrick. I don't know who that. I couldn't tell you who that is. <laughs> I know the name. I've probably seen her in something. I couldn't tell you, but but Debbie Reynolds and Eddie Fisher, I should, I certainly know they're <laughs> Carrie Fisher's dad, uh, mom and dad. <laughs> I'm pointless. So Michael Michael Sarah's like, like the new kid on the block. You're like, For watch me, him, watch this guy. <laughs> I'll be 70 and he'll be like, you know, 55, and I'll be like, ah, that kid, he's really making a go. For it. <laughs> <laughs> Like like you're at the mall and you're like ah I mean maybe Michael Sarah could pull this off me you know <laughs> I don't have a crush on him. <laughs> Doctor Bronner is in this as well. Did you guys pick? Did you guys pick that up? The soap guy. No. The soap guy himself isn't it? Yeah, Doctor Bronner is. I read the credits and it was like so and so as Doctor Bronner. He's one of the old people on the bus going to the moon. And I was like, it can't be Dr. <laughs> So-and-so Braun. I looked up, it's the soap guy. He's in the movie for some reason. What if you get that soap and you read it and like somewhere down the long thing, he's like, oh, by the way, I was, um, I played an old guy and nothing lasts forever. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. That was weird. That, he... <laughs> that soap's good because uh, it, uh, it hurts your skin quite a bit. And that's how I know it's working. Now, most soaps, I don't know that they're working. They smell fine. I don't know if they're getting clean. I feel that I feel that's like burning stuff off of me. Do you think Chuck Lorre got his end of credits like block of text from Dr. Bronner? Do you think that was his inspiration? Could be. Like like I, like you'll be watching uh, Two and a Half Men <laughs> and at the end there's this like, you know, some kind of uh, manifesto. I don't think anyone <laughs> on that show washes. I just feel like like you need like a, a, a twice a week shower and they get like that uh dial it's always like you get like a a, a big brick of it for like uh 90 cents <laughs> that's just the vibe i get from the show but correct me if i'm wrong but so far no one has corrected me so i take a big stand on social media against cleanliness on tv shows I, but specifically two and a half men that's that's up there as being the dirtiest like just, <laughs> Like hygiene wise, friends. Oh, I got some things that will turn you off food, <laughs> oh, friends. Oh my God! Welcome to the moon, Eloy. It's you. And it is you. I must talk to you. Don't talk here. Too dangerous. Welcome to the moon. We meet later. Welcome. I think we do need to bring up this woman he met on the moon. Eloy, who, what a beautiful person that was. Like, I was like, whoa, it was shocking. <laughs> and I did some research on her. Her name was Eloy, right? She was some moon peep, moon person. 
And uh, she does uh, voice work now. She's uh, the voice of Amy from Futurama. Oh. And her voice sounded a lot like this in that movie, so it was... I had no idea. Now, did he have, like, an image of her? What was the thing where she had a picture of him, right? Or he ha- or he of her. Something like that. In the yeah. apartment that he moved into uh, had a... Uh painting in it of her and then when okay. he went into the onto the moon later in the movie she had a painting of him in her uh, moon base yeah and that was actually like a lot of the music in the movie it's all really good but like there's kind of like a little bit of like a sleazy cheesy element to it like even when his his aunt sings um paper moon like the way she articulates certain words and like goes big it's she's a great singer but like it's done for comic effect but when uh Eloy sings the title song it's like kind of a moving scene I've come from far away. I feel as if we've known each other and loved each other forever. And if this is a dream, then I hope I never wake up. Because it's the sweetest dream I've ever had. Well, uh, this I was going to say that this doesn't have much to do with like the story of the film, but I, I, I'm glad that things like this get in the past have been made. Just so like left field, like very, very low budget. Just You just say to someone, hey, if you can make a movie for this much money... Oh yeah, you know, have a great time. Um, and I, and I, and it, I was thinking about this too. In like six years earlier, Lorne Michaels yeah. funds the Ruddles film, which which um, which that is a perfect movie in my mind. But but you have it's a kind of a similar setup. It's like low budget, like a lot of detail where they can get it. You know, like I feel like they use their money on things like. Like the costumes are incredible in the Ruddles. But then you also have these like little performances from early SNL people. So like the Ruddles, you've got Bill Murray, the K, uh, Danny Aykroyd Ugh. as the um, uh-huh. the guy who passes on the Ruddles. Could you stop doing that? <laughs> what? Calling Dan Aykroyd Danny. It's so annoying. Yeah, I wanted to say something too. It sounds like you're trying to act like you guys are friends or something. Well, we, I mean, we are friends. I, well, okay, maybe friends is too strong of a word, but I would consider Danny and I definitely tight acquaintances and definitely about to embark on a creative business venture together. Oh, Gabe, don't take the bait. I wasn't going to say anything. <laughs> No, no, you were. You were. You are hinting at it all episode. Hmm. Well, the two of you can either be rude mm. or be cool and probably be a part of this thing. What's it going to be? <sighs> Jesus fucking Christ. All right. No one can forget the excitement around Blues Brothers 2000, a critical and box office triumph. So this is the movie where Eric uh, Clapton dressed up for the DMV? <laughs> you think you think the guy would at least put on a nice shirt considering that he's in a movie? Mm, 
don't know the name Eric Clapton, but I guess you're referring to one of the nine Louisiana Gator Boys yeah. lead guitarists. Yep. Yeah, that's the one. Great. Yeah, no offense, Jason, but Blues Brothers 2000 bomb and suck shit. May I suggest you up the ginkgo biloba, Gabe? Your memory could use a little bit of a boost. Don't get me wrong. While Blues Brothers 2000 did actually suck some serious wang-dang doodle. Preach. Blues Brothers, the original movie, is an all-time classic. Uh, By Blues Brothers, you mean Blues Brothers 1980? Yeah, the one that came out in 1980 came out in 1980 and is also now known as Blues Brothers 1980. Now. Yeah, so so people don't confuse it with Blues Brothers 2000. Kind of like how the first Star Wars movie is now called Star Wars colon Made in the Shade parentheses in 77. No, no, that's it's called A New Hope. Mm, That sounds wrong. But this new project, the one Danny and I are writing, is Blues Brothers 3000. <gasps> Blues Brothers 3000. Why not call it Blues Brothers 2030? That's like a thousand year jump. Great question. Danny could saturate the market and probably do an excellent Blues Brothers picture every 20 to 30 years on Disney Plus, but his vision is clearly beyond our current technology. Oh, what harmonica advancement isn't where Danny would like it? When are you putting this out? couple years from now uh i think the title makes it pretty obvious so the year 3000 mm-hmm. okay okay danny Aykroyd and the three of us will long be dead by the time that comes out picture this if i planted a redwood seed in the forest do you think i'd live long enough to see the tree at full size yeah i just found this website for blues brothers 3000 and uh it says here you can book a ticket for a screening for your distant descendants. Yeah, and oh my god, there's also a prehistoric Blues Brothers film in development. How's that going to work? Dinosaurs? Oh wait, no, it's just the era where mammals are real effed up looking. This guy you're writing with, I... I'm just going to go out on a limb and say I don't think this is Dan Aykroyd. <laughs> Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Delicious things to eat. The popcorn can't be beat. The sparkling drinks are just dandy. The chocolate bars and the candy. So let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. This one? We're doing this one? Really? All right. Your podcast, I guess. Okay, now we have a segment from Gabe called Greetings from Cards. Take it away, Gabe. Thank you, Mike. So, a little quirk about me is that I like to collect greeting cards from all over this wonderful country. It's just something I do to feel closer to the American dream, you know? Yeah, that sounds really sweet. Hey, Jason, do you mind? This is my segment, and you two only gave me about three minutes of air, and uh, I don't have time for idle chit-chat, okay? (laughs) You don't have to get upset. I was just agreeing with you. Okay, I'm just going to mute you. And, uh, good, okay. Uh, So I found this card in Bellingham, Washington. I don't know what you pressed, but you didn't mute me. 
Yeah, we specifically didn't give you that authority. Okay, well, fine, whatever. So, I found this card in a recycling bin in a quaint little house in Bellingham, Washington. Wait, 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 wait. When you said found this card in the recycling bin of a quaint little house, I mean, did you go through someone's trash? Oh, Jesus Christ. Is there something wrong with that? They were just throwing it out. It was in the street, and last I checked, it's a public place. It's not like I broke into anyone's home and stole these cards or anything. Okay, Gabe, I'm going to stop you right there. There are two separate piles of greedy cards in front of you, and when you said these, you had your hand over just one of the piles. Are you insinuating that the cards in the other pile were all stolen from people's homes? This is Mickey Mouse bullshit. I can't. Oh my god. This isn't about how I got the greeting cards, is it? You two are just trying to run out the clock so I can't do my segment. You two are always against me and my segment ideas. Gabe, we're not against you, but if you're doing anything illegal, I don't see how we can do it on the show. You two are just jealous of my great idea. That that's not that's not true. Neither one of us thought this was a good idea. Hold on, I gotta do this little thing. The following comments and opinions are those of the individual and do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of this podcast. Here, just go do your stupid fucking segment. I'm unbelievable. Now, unfortunately, we do get some sympathy cards. You, from the- you, you get the sympathy cards. I, I, Jason, we do not. Get I, the sympathy I don't cards. have any. I don't have any uh, discarded sympathy cards. Yeah, this is on you. I don't. No. Okay, so I get some sympathy cards from time to time, but that doesn't mean that the sentiment isn't just as heartfelt. This card features a floral design in the shape of a heart, and in the middle of that heart, it reads, "My deepest condolences." Yeah. It's sad, right? Now let's open up this Greetings from Cards. Dear Laura, I'm so sorry about your loss. Although I had only known your grandfather for a short time, he was one of the most lively and energetic people I have ever met in my life, regardless of his age. When I met Clarence last September at your baby shower, he took me aside and told me he wanted to see a naked woman one last time before he died. And when he looked at me with those big old grandpa eyes, I couldn't help but feel obligated to help him on his journey. Now, you and I both know that pictures in a magazine wouldn't do. And yeah, in retrospect, taking him to a gentleman's club should have been the next step. But you know Clarence, his old salesman instincts came out and before I knew it, he was in my car and we were on our way to Elko, Nevada, where he told me you can get anything with a $50 bill and, quote, the right equipment, end quote. Although I can't recall the events that occurred after 5.30pm on December the 2nd due to the heavy narcotics that old Clarence slipped into my body without my knowledge, I hope it will ease your mind knowing that he died how he lived, overdosing on life inside of a water slide. Metaphorically speaking, of course, on how he actually lived, but also, literally speaking, on behalf of how he actually died. Seeing as how there was a copious amount of the new drug called life in his system when he got shot out of that water slide. I also hope that it will put your mind at ease knowing that I was arguably in more danger with him than he ever was with me. 
Whatever happens in court next week, I believe the evidence will show that it was more of a hostage situation than what the law has deemed as, quote-unquote, a kidnapping. Thoughts and prayers, Rick. P.S. I never did find out what the right equipment meant. Do you know? P.P.S. Dear God, please drop the charges. Are you done? Yeah, that's it. We are never doing that again. It is Tuesday, and you know what that means. Fish Taco Tuesday! Right. We'll eat them and review them, I guess. Right. I'll be reviewing the spiny bonefish taco from Lom's. And Jason, what will you be trying tonight? Scrot! <laughs> okay, the Scrot taco from... Mm, the engineer just gave this to me. I don't know. All right. Uh, shall we tuck in, as they say? Indeedy. Mm, that is so juicy. Mm, I know. There's so much juice in this mm. taco. One wonders where they hit all that juice. Where's all that juice coming from, Mr. Taco? Mm. <laughs> it's like someone forgot to turn off a hose. Mm. Oh, no. Mm. What's wrong? Did you find a gill? No. Dad's here. What? Gene? Not my dad. Our podcast dad. Shit. Boys, it's me, your father. Hi, Hi Dad. Dad. Well, how are you two? We're fine, Dad. Look, why are you here? What? A pop can't come by and see his boys. You fellas should come by and we'll make a bobbly like we used to. We never did that. No, we certainly did not. Well, we could if you want. My treat. Well, let's go Dutch. Here he goes. But I just needed to see my little men. I'm an old pain in the rump. You go and do your little ethnic food review without me. And this is where we're supposed to ask what's wrong, right? Hey, hey, hey! I am your father. You don't talk to me like I'm your friend down the street. We're sorry if we upset you, but you've been fishing for sympathy since, like, episode eight. We know how this goes. Ugh, I'm sorry I was mad. Come on. Sit on Pop-Pop's lap, both of you. Sit on Pop-Pop's lap, come no. on. No, Dad, no. Well, just call me Pop-Pop then. No one is going to say oh. that name. Pop-Pop, say it, it's fun. Dad, just tell us why you're sad or whatever. Uh, it's been hard since my big poochie died. Oh, God. Didn't Scout pass away three years ago? Yeah, but... No, no it was Monty that died. Auntie? And the old soldier died in my arms. Dad, we talked about this. This is not okay. When did he get a new dog? This is like the 10th dog since Scout. The 15th dog. Oh, even worse. What is going on? He goes to animal shelters and asks for the oldest dog. Jason, don't listen to him. Half-truths, half-truths. No, full truth. He asks for the oh, oldest dog. I am your father. And he waits for them to die so he can get sympathy. This is sick, Dad. Oh, and I can't keep covering for him anymore. Oh, what's wrong with that? Still, 15 dogs. That's a lot. And they must have been on their last legs to squeeze 15 deaths in three years. 
Oh, I have to kill a lot of them. Oh my god, Dad! Dad. I, what the hell? What? What? They're all very close to death anyway. I just nudge him a bit. Dad, this is bad. Someone must be noticing you're going through dog after dog. You can get into a lot of trouble here. It's fine. You know, most of these shelters are glad to get rid of some of these things. And before we get all high and mighty, a lot of these dogs are real pieces of shit, believe me. Besides, I give them the best week of their life. Well, the best last week of their life. Ice cream, real hot dogs, real beef. Real beef, Jason. That doesn't matter. Well, uh, what do you do with them, you know, after... Jason, you... don't. You know, it's been a real problem. Oh, here we go. The first few were okay. You know, toss them into the woods. But a lot of these guys are real heavy. You know, basset hounds. Oh, what are those ones with the little barrels of rum around the neck? Oh, oh and the woods I use are filling up. I'll tell you, you have to get creative. I think we should just move on to the next segment. A lot of this incriminates all of us. Dad, we need to talk. Why don't you come by sometime then? Hey, that bobbly and and you could meet your future podcast stepma, Colleen. I think this one's a keeper. Tybule. Okay, we're back. Right now we're gonna jump into a written sketch, a bit like old time radio. So I've got scripts here, so let me hand one over to you, Mike and Gabe. Here you go. Mike, I, I think you would be great as Tom. Oh, thank you. Yeah. And uh, Gabe here, I've um, highlighted these lines. If you're interested, there's a kind of like a, I don't want to give too much away to the audience, but there's like a, a little bit of a voiceover oh. part. Okay, thank you. And so that leaves the part of Marianne to me. And uh, if I'm you guys sorry. want to just jump right in. Yeah, oh, oh, what's that? You're going to play Marianne? Yeah, um, yeah. I wrote the part, and yeah, I I feel pretty comfortable. I mean, I think performing, but I think maybe you should, you know, let a woman voice that role. Well, I mean, you know, I wear a Yankees hat. I, I'm Babe Ruth. People know I'm Babe Ruth. He speaks in a uh, woman's voice, which he does very well. He's a woman. Yeah, I mean, acting. if you look at if you look at Kids in the Hall or Monty Python, those guys, they're a sketch group and they play female roles. I mean, like, yeah, let's just try this out. Like, that was I don't different. like spam! Oh. oh, no. Right? I thought that Jason. was my granny. Jason, that was bad. You oh, can't check this out. do that anymore. No, I, I got this one. Rob! It's a Mary Tyler Moore. What? Def the Van Dyke Show. That was Rob. terrible. Yeah, I feel this is good. I don't think we should do this. I think we should probably cast the role, you know, with a woman. Gabe, the thing you don't understand about this is that I, and I, I, I think you guys, I put you in this category as well, are actors. And as an actor, mm -hmm. I can transform myself. I can play a woman. I can play someone of any ethnicity oh, oh, no. or any, any religion. No, it's I, all, it's all right. just part of imagination it's part of that's, getting into a role jason that's that has bad news written all over i really think you shouldn't portray somebody who's a different race or religion as well i mean that's just i think we're gonna get in trouble for that 
Well, I mean, um, have you seen the movie Aloha, the fantastic oh, no. film by Cameron Crowe? Nobody saw that. And there's a reason why nobody saw it. I don't think we should. I, I think it's just, a, I mean, there's plenty of people who are, you know, want to do voice acting. I, I don't think that's, uh, I don't think it's appropriate if we start doing the voices. Want to and actually do it. That's, I guess that's beside the point. I don't have measuring tape long enough to measure the difference between those two points. Are you listening to your, yourselves right now? We seem to be at an impasse. I could do it. Wesley Lechner. I mean, we'd be honored. Really? You'd do it? Yeah, I mean, I could read the part. Ooh. All right. We got to get you a script. Let me see here. Actually, just take mine. Trot it on over here. Let me take a little readsicle. Okay, let me set the scene for you. You'll be playing Marianne, and she's mm. at home preparing dinner. Her husband should be home at any minute. Yes, I get this woman. Now, when we come through the door, we'll just... Gosh, traffic was horrendous, Marianne. It took about half an hour to drive the last two miles. Here's the world's smallest violin, and it's playing just for you. Haha, ha, very fun. Wait, where's that music coming from? I just said, it's the world's smallest violin. No, s seriously, how are you doing that? Take a look at my hand, Tom. Oh, what the hell? It's a classically trained violinist! I know, isn't he wonderful? From the Baker's Up, if you have time to lead, you have time to clean, disinfect it. And the would you like a metal or a chest to pit it on portable breastplate comes the world's smallest violinist. Who said that? Quiet, we're in a commercial. Oh, do, do I need to sign a release? Shh. <clears throat> As I was saying, ever need a little audiovisual pizzazz to humiliate a loved one? Well, look no further than the world's smallest violinist. What's he playing? A Beethoven concerto? Who cares? He's helping me smoke you. But how did he get so small? I've never seen anything like it. Don't know. He just came this way. Why wouldn't you tell me we had a mini person in our house? I mean, how long has he been here? Three? Maybe four months? Why? Four months? Five tops. I was just waiting for the right moment to zing ya. Up top. Fine, leave me hanging. What's the world's smallest violinist been doing up until now? He hangs out in this little box. Looks like a goddamn casket. He sleeps in there? What he does in his spare time is his business. All I know is that when I need the world's smallest violin, he's there to play it. Sir, sir, are you all right? Are you hungry? Tom, I'm hungry. So would you please just sit down and eat? I can't. If you haven't noticed, I'm spiraling. Lighten up. It's just a joke. Do you need help? Speak to me, little man. Speak. Give him some space. You're going to make him mess up. Where do you get a violin that small? Jeez. He's sure asking a lot of questions, Mariad. Shut the hell up, you, you disembodied voice. I gotta do something. This man has rights. Living in a box? On call to participate in a bit? That's no way to live. Operator. Uh, Humane Society, I guess. Yeah. Hello. 
Hello, my wife, she's got this very little violinist. I don't know if she's supposed to be feeding him or what. I just, I don't know what to say. This is unreal. Yeah. Half an inch, three quarters, I, I don't know. Does it matter? Are you listening? No, no, he's petite, minute, minuscule, ma'am, microscopic, extremely scaled down, slight, literally pocket-sized, wee, mini, bitsy, I mean fucking tiny. Hello? Hello? What are you... What did he say, honey? Laughed at me, put me on hold, and the hold music, it sounded like, like an extremely small violin. You gotta admit, this has been quite the burn. Hit me down low. Ugh. Oh, no, no, no. Damn it, Tom, how could you? What have I done? I'm a murderer. <laughs> you better make a break for it, Tom. It's the tidy police. All right, boys, that's another one in the can. Uh, so, what did we learn today? Well, I guess I learned that although I probably could play a woman's part in a sketch, it's not a bad idea to just get a woman to play the part. I think Wesley did a great job. She did good. And I've been thinking about this since I recorded it, and I can't. I wish I could just disappear. I'm so embarrassed. I was really going overboard on Imogene Coca on that nothing lasts forever bit. I mean, <laughs> it makes me feel re I just think about it and I go, no, no, that was not, that was bad, bad. And I draw X's on my face. I learned I, I apparently like Imogene Coca, and I have a lot of stuff to get through apparently. And I learned that uh, Jason's kind of a rube, but uh, we'll believe anything anybody tells him and writing a Blues Brothers sequel with some stranger thinking that he's, you know, Dan Aykroyd writing some fake-ass movie that's going to come out in the year 3000. What's wrong with you? Well, look, when me and Danny are hanging out oh in his his office drinking Crystal Head vodka right out of the, the, the skull-shaped bottle, we're going to be laughing all the way to the bank, brother. It's not Dan Aykroyd. It's definitely not Dan Aykroyd. Have you seen him? Have you seen him physically? <sighs> well... We have this setup where uh, it's sort of like, you know, those, you know, like a confessional in the Catholic Church. I guess. I don't like where this is going. We'll talk about this after the show. All right, everybody. Till the next time. Wow. This is horrible. This is a horrible end. Guys, we're fighting. <laughs> <laughs>